The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to She Talks Health with Sophie Shepard. Today's woman has a lot of questions about their health and lifestyle choices. But where can you get the right answers? The answer is here and the time is now. Here is your host, Sophie Shepard. Welcome back, ladies, to the She Talks Health podcast. This is your host, Sophie Shepard, functional nutrition practitioner and women's menstrual and digestive health coach. I am so excited for today's episode where we are going to be talking all about the abnormal menstrual cycle, the reasons for it, and the solutions. We're going to get into all the one-on-one on menstrual cycle and where things can go wrong. And who better to explain this than Dr. Lauren Rubal, who is a fellowship-trained reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist, but she also recently has switched kind of away from IVI or IUI and IVF and into holistic practice. So she's actually fusing and melding Western medicine and the holistic approach to fertility and reproductive care. And I am so excited to have Lauren on the show. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you and everyone. Yes, I am so excited. We've had so many good chats on our own and it's always at that point when I say, well, we got to have you on the show because (laughs) everyone needs to know this stuff. So can you tell us a little bit more about your background? Because it's pretty rare to see a board certified OBGYN and an award winning clinician such as yourself who focus mostly on know, IVF type practices to kind of make a hard left turn, right turn. I don't know what the phrase is. <laughs> so that into this holistic, Flip maybe. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about this switch for you and what you're currently doing in your practice? Absolutely. I'm happy to. I know. I think I am the only one that I know of that is um, a fellowship trained uh, reproductive endocrinology and infertility specialist that really is focusing in on this such an important niche in our field. And so basically, I was uh, went to a wonderful training program, went to University of Southern California. Afterwards, I practiced full scope REI, um, the very traditional kind that people may know of for almost a decade. And I really um, decided and made this decision to take the leap if you will, for a multitude of different reasons, but really a large part of it was my passion for that whole body integrative approach to fertility and to menstrual health. I mean, beyond trying to get pregnant, but really trying to help heal what is going on. And I felt like in some cases, there is just that big elephant in the room, which is IVF, which just casts a shadow upon everything else you're thinking and doing, and it becomes this march towards IVF in some ways, and it doesn't have to be that way. And so I wanted to focus in on the very beginning stages. And again, how can we restore our normal reproductive function? So that's um, a large reason why I said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to open up my own practice and um, really lean into that that part of it and and try to heal these women. And I know that there's just so much coming out 
about um, even more uh, studies about supplements and really different functional medicine approaches that I think are really interesting and actually some have shown applicability and success in this reproductive field. So very exciting time. Very exciting time. Very exciting time. And as I told you the first time we met, you're going to change the world because you are already a fellowship trained OBGYN and and doctor. And this is, we need more voices. We need more strong female voices who know the medical side of things. People can trust that and also see this other side, this holistic side as a viable way to support women with their menstrual health and with their fertility. I think so often I get women into my um, practice who have been through the gamut of going to see specialists such as yourself, but they haven't been given that essential part, that holistic part. And so they've paid, you know, $10,000 or whatever it is for IVF, and then it hasn't worked. And when we look at their case, it's like, well, their gut is completely messed up. They're really inflamed. They're not getting enough nutrients, you know, whatever. They haven't been ovulating for forever. I know we're going to talk a lot about ovulation today. So I love that you're kind of taking this approach like, hey, you know what, Bef- you know, IVI and IVF may be something that is helpful for you, but there's also these other things that are way less expensive, right? <laughs> and yeah, things too. that are yeah. good for overall health, right? Absolutely. I completely agree. Yeah. Right. With everything, and I tell everyone this, but you know, there's pros and cons to every approach. And absolutely intrauterine insemination or IUI and in vitro fertilization or IVF may be options that are appropriate and that you may eventually pursue um, if you're listening to this. But um, I think that there are always reasons to discover all your own options. Again, this is one of my mantras. Knowledge is power and it allows you to make decisions that you most feel at peace with. And so then you can kind of walk into whatever you're doing in control um, as much as possible in that overwhelming situation that is fertility um, difficulties and know that, listen, I chose to do this and I understand the risks and I accept those risks and I understand the pros and I want those pros, you know, and that's so important to really position yourself again, especially fertility and recurrent miscarriage and even irregular periods. It's all an incredibly overwhelming experience that is so much more than in my opinion, uh, than going to the doctor and saying, I have high blood pressure, I need a pill, you know, or whatever. I need, I need dietary choices for that. There's so many layers um, to, to what these couples and women are dealing with. So yeah, it's very important. Absolutely. We, we had a, um, a, Anna Saucier, the founder of Cycle Power Summit, was on, I think, the third our fourth episode. It was right. Yeah. She, that's actually how we met, right? Through cycle yes. or through um infertility. Through summer. Anna, yeah. Yeah, through uh-huh. Anna. And um, you know, she was talking about this too, the emotional toll that women and couples go through with infertility. And I also know like I'm not an infertility specialist necessarily, but I can certainly support the body so that you can, you know, have like a really healthy pregnancy in the work that I do. But I work mostly with women who are dealing with these horrible cycles or they don't have their cycle at all or they're fearful because they don't know what's going on with their body. And what you just said is, I think, my whole mission, which is to educate and empower women so they can become the CEOs of their health. Now, that doesn't mean you just don't go to the doctor, right? <laughs> There's definitely reasons you should still go to the doctor, but hopefully you're in the in the driver's seat of your health and your menstrual health is literally a fifth vital sign. So it's really, really important that we listen and look at that as a as a biomarker for our overall health. And that's what we really want to get into today. And I think that that's actually probably a really good segue into 
explaining, and I think we've done this one other time on the show, but let's, let's do it again. And I know it's hard <laughs> because we don't have a visual, but can you kind of explain the process from start to finish each month that a woman goes through in her menstrual cycle? And maybe we can start, start there and, and then start talking about how ovulation is really important. Absolutely. Yes. I, I, I know, Sophie, we were talking about how we are both visual people. So I will do my best and chime in, please, if you need a clarification. But, you know, I, the way I think about it is that every single month and a woman who is ovulating regularly, that there is this race that goes on towards ovulation. And so there's this, um, you imagine the starting line, right? Um, and there's a group of um, follicles, which is where the eggs are contained. And I kind of just think of them as cars because otherwise it starts getting very dry and repro endo e, okay? But, um, which I love. But uh, so the follicles are cars and then there's an egg within each car. That's the driver, okay? So one egg per follicle, one driver per car, line up for this imaginary race. And it's just like any other race, okay? You can see the finish line in the distance. That is ovulation, okay? And everyone wants to win, Okay. So the signal that actually starts that race comes from the brain. It's follicle-stimulating hormone. It's luteinizing hormone, so FSH and LH, all these fancy medical terms. But all it really is is fuel. And it's fuel that goes to the ovaries that says, start going. And again, everyone's racing madly away and trying to grow and trying to obtain all the nutrients it needs to create that really healthy egg. Um, and their exhaust, if you will, as they're racing along is estrogen. Okay. And estrogen has loads of different effects, but one of its effects is to go back up towards the brain and it says, stop, stop, stop. We got plenty of fuel. We don't need any more fuel. We're good. And you know, who's doing that? It's the winner. He's, he's trying to squash the competition, decrease the fuel. So no one else can make it to that finish line. Okay. So that's the very basic way that the beginning part of the race happens. And then so one wins, one egg gets released, one crosses that finish line. And then the shell, that empty car, if you will, um, from where the egg came out of starts pumping a different hormone called progesterone, okay, which is progestation, pro-pregnancy hormone. Let me back up a moment because that's what's happening over in the ovary, but there's a lot of important effects that go on in the uterus that ties this all in. And so what that means is that um, that estrogen that also is talking to the brain, well, it goes to the lining of your uterus, which is called the endometrium, and it makes that lining thicker, it makes it really ready and receptive to um, accept that, um, that embryo, hopefully that baby that's going to be implanting there, okay? Um, and so the progesterone goes along and kind of just finishes that um, concoction so that embryo can implant, okay? And that's why it's called the pregnancy hormone, right? But here's the deal. After a woman ovulates, that shell from where that egg came out of, that empty car, pumps out that progesterone, but it has a two-week shelf life. And if after two weeks you don't get pregnant, unfortunately, it dissolves away, this area dissolves away, and therefore no more progesterone is being produced. And therefore, there's no more support of the lining and the lining can't support itself and therefore it sheds and that's your period. And so that's kind of the whole gamut from, you know, brain to ovary to uterus that we think of that really all contributes towards that um, menstrual cycle and towards hopefully ovulation, as you said, Sophie, which is in, in my humble opinion, the most important part of that um, whole cycle. 
That was the best explanation of the menstrual cycle (laughs) that I've ever heard. Wow. Mic drop. That's amazing. Thank you. I was telling you, I used to, I I teach the residents and students and I felt like they could probably recite it in their sleep by the end of the rotation. They were probably so inundated with uh, race analogies. Thank you. You're so sweet. It's just so visual. I love that. And I hope that really helps you guys understand what's going on in the body and how amazing a gift we get with this menstrual cycle because alongside these main hormones, estrogen in the first half, progesterone in the second half, we also get really beautiful gifts that these hormones are giving us, which is one of the things I love to lean into with my one-on-one practice and in the group program I'm building is how can we support that race to the finish line in the first half and then the detoxification of any extra hormones we don't need in the second half so that we can have really beautiful anti-inflammatory as much as possible ovulation and period so we're not in pain and so things kind of you know go along and I, I think that that is a really good segue into why we both feel that ovulation is actually the most important part of your menstrual cycle. I know anyone who's listening might feel that your menstrual cycle is all about your period or the, t- the bleeding phase, but this is actually, um, in our humble opinion, not the main event. And let's talk about why ovulation is truly a sign of health and what causes it to go awry. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a very broad topic that I could talk for hours about because um, as we described, though all of those such intricate, as you mentioned, so such beautiful parts towards this um, hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis is the medical term that we use to call it, or HPO axis. They all really have to dovetail perfectly for ovulation to happen for the appropriate timing, um, for the woman to create those hormones in appropriate quantity and at appropriate times to achieve, you know, the body's ultimate goal is, is achieving a pregnancy. That's why it's releasing the egg, right? But it also um, turns into so many other parts of our lives and our symptoms, okay? Um, and I'm so, going to pause you really quickly just absolutely. so that you can explain the HPO a little bit in terms of what you said before um, when you were giving the car analogy, just to tie it back in for people. Mm, So you had said, and this is very true, the brain is the starting, it kind of releases that FSH, that LH, right? So that's that hypothalamus pituitary. So hypothalamus triggers Mm. the pituitary and triggers those other hormones. So she's not actually telling you something new. It's actually all part of the same process. And the really important thing here is like just showing again that the body's super connected because your brain is what's informing your ovaries about these hormones, which is one of the reasons why, and this is kind of, we'll maybe talk about this another time, but this is one of the reasons why women coming off of hormonal birth control can sometimes have trouble getting their cycle back because your brain has to reconnect to your ovaries. So sorry, continue about the ovulation, but I just wanted people who maybe never heard of the HPO access (laughs) to understand that it's exactly what you just said about connecting the brain to the ovaries. Yeah, we doctors like to use fancy terms. It makes us feel smart. So yeah, absolutely, right? (laughs) So exactly the same thing. You're absolutely right. Hypothalamus and pituitary are both in the brain. Ovaries where the action happens, where ovulation is happening, and then the uterus is that um, nurturing home for the baby that um, is getting all the the great hormones that everyone's producing. So that's perfectly correct. Um, In terms of ovulation, the way I think about it and what the studies show is that we consider a normal ovulatory cycle um, 
to be comprised of different um, steps. And so the way I'm thinking about it um, is that a very common question that people ask me is, well, how do you know that you ovulate? Truly, like, what's the way to know? And I have to tell you the only true 100% way to know definitively that you've ovulated is that you become pregnant. And that's a hard thing to hear because there aren't, we're doing other biomarkers that are very good, that I love, and they provide different puzzle pieces to, to understand and come to that full picture of if ovulation is occurring. But that's what they are. They're surrogate markers. They're, um, so they're ways that we can all put together those pieces. Okay. But that's important to mention. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I feel like in the menstrual health space right now, we're seeing a lot of people talking about other biomarkers. So I think what we're talking about cumulatively is basal body temperature marking, um, cervical, cervical mucus um, concentrations and marking that. And then um, certainly just, you. I believe you can also do some sort of, if you go to your OBGYN, you can, you can measure your LH or you could do like an LH strip, right? Um, mm-hmm. from, from the drugstore. And these are all part of these kind of surrogate markers, but yeah, the ultimate test to see if you ovulated would be pregnancy. Right. Absolutely. But that's what I mean. So we don't, of course, some people are listening to this and saying, well, I, I'm not interested in pregnancy right now. I want to avoid pregnancy. And there are very good and again, research proven, data driven, other ways we can look into that and determine your ovulation window. Okay. And so those include the most basic of it is timing, right? The calendar even. And we consider that normal ovulatory cycle every 21 to 35 days in women. And so from day one of one period to day one of the next, my goodness, that is a huge range, right? That is um, a very, very big range. And believe it or not, the, the main um, change in that range is in the front part of that cycle, the race part, the pre-ovulatory part. In fact, that second half, remember I told you, is about a two-week time frame. I think. It can be anywhere from 11 to 16 days, but I just say two weeks, it's easier. Um, And so that's much more fixed. And so that um, also allows us to see that you really are going to be tracking all those changes before you ovulate. That's how you'll tell. So that's, that's one way to know. Other ways is the timing way. You can do a calendar, get an app, and that way can be um, indicative. You count back from that period and count back two weeks and you say, okay, I think I ovulated and you can look in a retrospective way. So for example, if you have a 28 day cycle, which not every woman does by any means, but if you do, you can um, look at your last cycle and say, okay, well, last month I ovulated on um, July 14th. I'm sorry, I had my period on July 14th. Therefore, that means I ovulated 14 days prior to that, which was July 1st. So that's one way of looking at it, okay? But there are other ways like you're mentioning. And so that includes the um, LH because the LH is part of that fuel and that fuel actually surges right before you ovulate and you can measure that in the urine or in the blood. Um, And that's a great way. So studies show that that way actually is one of the very best to determine when to have intercourse to try for pregnancy. Um, it detects the two highest days of um, pregnancy um, potential in your whole cycle, the day that you have that positive and the day after, which is when we think ovulation happens. So we think ovulation happens after that LH peak in your body. Um, and so that's a, that's a wonderful um, test to do, in my opinion. 
Um, and the cervical mucus is another one you mentioned, which responds to the changes in the estrogen. So remember that exhaust. And as that exhaust increases at the end of that race, it causes this very slippery um, type of fertile mucus that we can see and is different. And we know that's helping that sperm kind of get right up into the uterus and into the tubes where the eggs are. So that's another way that people use. And then finally, like you mentioned, the basal body um, thermometer or BBT is a way of determining your early morning, very precise temperatures. And we know that that works because progesterone actually increases your body's set point. So that's the whole phenomenon. Unfortunately, it happens the rise happens after you've ovulated. So you kind of aren't able to time things quite as well, but it does give you useful information about what's going on in your cycle and when you think you're ovulating and kind of a backstop of looking at, okay, did my LH surge? Now my temperature rose, this all makes sense. So all of those things are quite useful. And other people even use cervical, um, cervical consistency. So what their cervix feels like. There's a lot of other things out there that people um, also are doing the check. Thank you for explaining all of those different options because I know women are, are looking for these at-home things that they, the tangible things that they can do to understand their cycle better. And this is a really good time for me to say, ladies, please do not rely on an app to tell you if you ovulated, mm. right? So it can't tell you all those things. It's not in your body, I hope, um, but it is a good place to record things, right? And something like um, Eggy will give you a chart of your basal body temperature so you don't have to like chart it out for yourself. You know, you just put in the, the raw data and it'll make a pretty picture for you so you can see about that ovulation. And you can also do all of these things together, right? So you can, Absolutely. if you're, yeah, if you're really trying to understand when you ovulate. Um, and then another thing to think about is with the rise of estrogen, and this is not something that's scientifically proven in that I wouldn't go off of, of the way you feel in your body as, as your ovulatory main marker. But something that I always like to teach people is our hormones actually can change our mood and change the way we are. So I always find around ovulation, that's when I'm the most outspoken. That's, the, that's when I can pitch a new idea. That's when I'm on my Instagram stories. Like that's when I want to give a presentation, go on a hot date, you know, like I'm very social because estrogen is giving me that boost. Whereas a few days before my cycle and during my cycle, I get very introverted. And that also reflects with my, with my exercise, right? So I have way more energy around that mid-cycle and then I taper off and probably do more yoga or long walks or something like that closer to my cycle. So these are just things that you can also like leverage as well as you think about these two kind of halves of your cycle and what hormones are at play if you're cycling kind of normally. Is there anything else you want to add? I completely agree. And in fact, there's a lot of great research looking at this. The hormones, what is endocrinology even mean? Again, it's just a fancy word. All it means is really the hormones in our body, which are messengers that, so one organ can talk to the next, okay? And um, that's the whole point of it. It's a feedback loop. Everything is. And guess what? Those hormones can cross and go into your brain. And so exactly what you said is absolutely correct. And in fact, it's so interesting. There are different, um, they function as neurohormones and there are different um, receptors in the brain that kind of tie into different um, feelings, right? And different uh, experiences. And so estrogen does, studies have shown that estrogen 
increases your ability to focus, your um, task orientation and memory skills, all of these things that you're mentioning, that um, there are changes in libido, of course, as, as you guys all probably know, right, as these fluxes and hormones occur. Progesterone is linked to irritability, right? All the um, other things about uh, our second half of our cycle, so eating more, that is a progesterone um, effect, even constipation. That is a progesterone effect. And so people really commonly say, they're like, oh, I just noticed that I get so constipated. And then I can tell my period's going to come because my bowels get looser. Absolutely. The progesterone's that hormone of pregnancy. It wants to quiet down the muscle. That's great if it's your uterus, right? Because it wants to maintain that pregnancy. Not so great if it's your intestines and they don't move quite as well because of that relaxation effect. So yes, hormones are very important everywhere, including the brain. Yes. And I want to talk about how um, ovulation can go awry in one second, but you just, I can't not say something. So I am in that uh, beautiful, um, what should be PMS week. And um, I am not PMSing. I'm a little more emotional. I'm, there's some some stuff going on in my personal life that's definitely more emotional. But what's interesting is like, I've learned that, that I'm going to probably cry this week, like just a little bit, like I'm going to have a release of energy and that's not a bad thing, right? I'm prepared for that. The other thing is like with, um, with what you just said about constipation, like this is really important because progesterone unfortunately will slow our bowels down potentially, but we have amazing things like food to help us to release. So we are going to want more carbohydrates in the second half of our cycle. That's what our body is craving. <laughs> my, um, my, my partner's mom, who's 75, she, yesterday I'm like, man, I'm so hungry. Like I already eat breakfast, I already eat lunch. Like why do I feel like I need a second lunch? She's like, well, you know what I would say, say to you if I was you, I would say, are you about to get your menstrual cycle? Because <laughs> I've been living wow. here. For, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've been living here for three weeks. So she's been hearing me talk about this. She's like, I said, you know what, Maggie? You're right. And she said, well, I remember I used to just sit by the fridge and eat um, jelly out of like, by the seatbelt. <laughs> right before my period. And I feel like most women can relate to this. So what I did instead of that, which would have hiked up my blood sugar and given me absolutely no nutritional value and created right. so much inflammation in my body, I made myself a smoothie. So I threw in some kale and a banana and some berries and cinnamon and cacao and like flax seeds and really like got it. And guess what? Had perfect poops yesterday. So, <laughs> um, so I always like to overshare on the podcast no. because um, we're women too. We're going through this stuff and like, you know, things come up and then it's important to know and be empowered with, oh, like, okay, I have a choice. I could eat a candy bar or I could eat something that's slightly sweet, like berries and, and, you know, banana and mix it in with some healthy fats and proteins and like actually balance my blood sugar, give myself nutrients and get myself to go to the bathroom. Yes. That's so wonderful. That's one of my bit. Yes, absolutely. I have a whole um, visit actually dedicated to things like that. Like how can we get our environment, our diet, our supplements all aligned to give you the best um, life really. Right. And not have to have these symptoms. I don't have to have these issues. Um, right. Although I'm not going to lie, the Oreo once, you know, oh, I, get, yeah. I, I get it. Right. You got it. You got it. Oh yeah. You know. Well, no, I totally but had the chocolate ice cream amazing. too. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, all right. So Absolutely. let's talk about um, ovulation more and what can go. We talked about um, how we know when you ovulate, but like what could go wrong? I mean, we're talking about abnormal menstrual cycles here. So I know there's people who just don't get a cycle at all or it's all over the map. Um, what could go wrong with this ovulation that could cause these abnormal cycles? Yeah, absolutely. So I always, again, I'm going back to that uh, ovulation analogy, the race analogy, um, in that here we go. So if you don't have a period, if your period is over 35 days, that cycle from day one to day one of the next, that to me signifies a potential issue that we need to focus in on about why you aren't having that regular race. And there are a whole host of different factors actually that can affect it, okay? And so the first thing I think about, especially in 2020, my goodness, is stress. Uh, my gracious, that is like the understatement of the year, right? Absolutely. Um, stress, right? Oh, goodness. Um, and so I think we're going to really see this in a lot of women. I think women's cycles are going to be absolutely affected. So please pay attention to that and be marking that. And, and people do tell me sometimes, they say, oh, yeah, I was under a lot of stress at work that month. My cycle got so much longer. Um, and that's your body telling you that it's feeling it. What I mean by that is that um, stress of any form, so it could be emotional stress, it could be nutritional stress. So the extreme example of that is anorexics or bulimics, right? It could be physical stress. So working out for hours a day, for example, even. But regardless of the source, the body goes into survival mode and it says, uh uh uh. I cannot support anyone else. I need to conserve my resources. I am turning this race off or doing the best that I can to turn it off and it might just lengthen it out. Um, and we can actually um, see that in the blood because what it does is it turns down the fuel coming from the brain and we can measure those things in the blood and we can, and it, therefore, if there's no race going on in the extreme example, then no one wins and then no estrogens also being produced. And so we can also see that in the blood and we can see there being a low estrogen and then to finish it off, if there's no estrogen being produced, there's no thickening of that uterine lining, but there's also all these other bad effects. Like you're saying how great estrogen makes you feel, right? And so that lack of estrogen can really contribute to a lot of um, kind of psych symptoms that create this vicious cycle of not feeling well, eventually can lead to brittle bones, right? That's like kind of long-term effect of this, but certainly, um, and there are impacts on other organ systems. But So that's a big one is stress. And so um, oh goodness, there's stress is hard. And I, and I tell all my patients, my number one goal is to decrease their stress. I don't want to contribute to my, your stress by saying that, oh. that this is making your period go God, crazy. That right? is the worst. So, it's the hardest yeah. for us ladies. Absolutely. I completely understand it is. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say we have to give ourselves grace. Mm -hmm. Every little bit that we can do can help. Listen, we all have stress. We all have stressors. We have life and jobs and everything, right? Uh, 2020 again. But what we can do and what I tell people is, first of all, we could try to modify how we respond to stressors. Again, that's incredibly hard to do. But the last thing that I tell everyone is we can choose to recenter ourselves on a daily basis. And that's where I think you can empower yourself. Um, and so what I mean by that is taking some time, even five, 10 minutes day to day where you um, 
go outside. Really, that's the way I like to do it. Honestly, recenter yourself with nature or acupuncture. This is a great option, okay? Exercise, meditation, mindfulness, all of these things can help, okay? So, so that's so that's my two cents on stress. But there are other um, options. Again, stress can be seen in the body, but you can even be tracking that and seeing how when you feel more stressed, is it getting worse or your period's getting more out of whack. Um, but other things that we have to think about is a big one is thyroid. Okay. And thyroid is so pervasive. I'm sure you talk to people about thyroid all the time. It's such an important um, organ. It's in our neck. It controls a lot of basic bodily functions, our metabolism, um, our bowels, our mood, our weight, um, our hair growth or loss right? Our periods, the bleeding patterns, so lots and lots of different effects. And unfortunately, the thyroid is also one of the most common culprits for autoimmune attack. What do I mean by that? Well, we all have our immune systems. That's our body's defense system, right? That protects us from the bad guys. And that's a good thing, but sometimes there can be friendly fire. And sometimes our immune system can mistakenly recognize our own as enemy and it starts attacking that. And that happens with the thyroid, unfortunately. And so, I mean, this can run in families. So if you have family members who have thyroid disease, that's an even bigger point to be watching out for because that's also a simple test we could do is look at your thyroid levels, look and see if there is an autoimmune attack. And then like you said, Sophie, there's so many different ways that we can try to heal that naturally, as well as medications to try to help with um, repleting that thyroid. So that's a, that's a pretty common one that I will see is that people will have thyroid issues. That's a great easy fix, okay? That one um, is, is easy enough to do. Um, that's, I'm going gonna, gonna to jump in on that Oh, yeah. Because yeah, anyone one, right? who's been listening to me long enough knows that I'm Hash- I have Hashimoto's. And um, I want to tie the two together. So if, if, you, if your thyroid goes out of whack, ladies, got news for you. It didn't happen in a vacuum, right? So your thyroid doesn't just magically wake up one day and decide, I'm just going to not work. Or your immune system doesn't just one day wake up and say, I'm going to attack my thyroid, right? It's an immune attack happening in the body that starts in the gut, starts with leaky gut. And that's what happened to me. I had eight years of digestive issues that were not dealt with. And then I was dealt with a whole bunch of emotional stress in my, in my body and that toppled my thyroid. So there, the body is so connected and it's going to try to protect you for as long as it can. I mean, my body tried to protect me for seven or eight years before it like completely toppled down. But, um, you know, I was on, I was on the NuvaRing at the time, so I don't actually know how that affected my, my period. But, Mm -hmm. um, I know after coming off the pill, I definitely had issues and I see with all like, yeah, I would say 60, 70% of my clients have, their thyroid's out of whack. And the good news there is that like, like you said, um, Lauren, is that you can, you can take medication or you can change your lifestyle to like heal that or to lower the the autoimmune attack or to kind of get back on track, which is really important because I think a lot of people who are hypothyroid are told there's no kind of solution. Um, so your thyroid could be affecting your period for sure. And there's things you can do about it. So. That's probably a whole separate episode. <laughs> oh, it's a whole separate episode, right? I know. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, because it's so much of diet, right? That anti-inflammatory diet I really think can help. Remember, we talked about um, selenium, which is an important mm-hmm. mineral. So if you eat four Brazil nuts a day, you can um, potentially help with that healing process on the thyroid. Myo-inositol, which is another supplement involved in the insulin signaling, some studies showing it may help and really well-tolerated supplements. So I always encourage people to, to I have that conversation, check it out because 
again, more natural ways to help heal yourself. Absolutely. Yes, that is a big one. So outside of stress and thyroid, what are, are there any other main things you see in your practice that affect ovulation and this weird menstrual cycle? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Prolactin is another one. That one is a hormone produced by the brain involved in nursing. If it's too high, can throw it off. You can be symptomatic with milk coming from your breast. You can have headaches, potentially even vision changes. Um, that one is not quite as common, but can be diagnosed by an easy blood test. But the main one that I want to fix fixate on is one that I know you said that you have luckily had Dr. Gersh, who is wonderful on your podcast before, but it is that imbalance of male and female hormones, right? And one of the manifestations of that is polycystic ovary syndrome or PCOS, right? And so, um, that one is the most common cause of irregular cycles and, that one also can be so very much um, ameliorated by holistic means. But um, that one is diagnosed by irregular periods as well as evidence of uh, abnormal male hormone levels, either in the blood, you can do a testosterone measurement, or even clinically. So that's the one where women come in and they say, my goodness, I've been having so much hair growth in different parts of my face, my chest, my neck, my back, my abdomen. Um, or any one of those places, or they can have incredibly bad acne. So I, yeah, I told Sophie, I'm half Asian, and um, Asian uh, ethnicity has a decreased um, what we call 5-alpha reductase, which is just an enzyme in your skin, so that even if women in this ethnic group have really high testosterone levels, really high male hormones in their blood, they don't have as much of this enzyme that, so they don't have as much manifestation of the dark hair. So what I see in my Asian patients is it'll come more frequently as really terrible acne on their face, chest, or back, for example. So lots of different ways that this can um, show itself, but certainly an issue that is important to address, not only because of ovulatory health, but it's because it can affect so many other organs and sugar risks and insulin and um, cardiovascular impacts. PCOS is a big one, unfortunately. It is a big one. And that's so interesting about the um, Asian population that you mentioned. And I know this is one of the reasons why I absolutely love the Dutch test for hormone testing, because it actually tells us if someone is leaning more towards that five alpha versus the five um, beta um, side. Mm. So you can kind of also see that clinically, which I, which I love that they have that option for anyone who's looking to kind of get into it deeper. Um, yes. Okay. So let's just review. So we talked the main four reasons why someone would have an abnormal cycle would be, and an abnormal cycle is defined by something that's over tw- 35 days or less than 21 days, right? Or is it? Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that would be stress <laughs> for <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> um, thyroid, hypothyroidism, um, can hyperthyroidism also affect yes. the cycle? Okay. Either, either way. Either way. Right. Prolactin, yeah. which is less common, um, but something that definitely you can look at with, with a blood test. And PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, which is an imbalance of um, male to female hormones, as well as um, some of the other markers that you expressed, which I really love that you kind of went into. And I know Dr. Gersh also explained this. I have a lot of clients who don't know how they were diagnosed with PCOS. And then when we dig, they say, oh, I was diagnosed with like an ultrasound, which I understand is not the only way to look at it because it's a syndrome, which is a collection of symptoms. And so you have to look at 
either the clinical presentation of male hormones or the actual like metric of you know too much testosterone or too much DHEA plus the um, plus the irregular cycle. And then the third part would be, yeah, you can do an ultrasound and see if someone has polycystic ovaries, but you can have polycystic ovaries without having PCOS. Is that correct? Yes. Oh, yes, exactly. There are diff- lots of different diagnostic criteria. In fact, there are three. Everyone is really interested in PCOS. And so the one that I usually follow is the NIH criteria, which was like the OG PCOS criteria. That's what you just described. It's um, irregular periods and evidence of that imbalance. But Rotterdam um, also has a set of criteria that is two of the three, either um, anovulation, evidence of the imbalance, or PCO morphology on the ovaries. And there's a very precise ovarian, um, sorry, ultrasound definition that we go by. The issue with this, as you rightly said, is that what are, those, what are those things that we're measuring on the ovaries? Well, in fact, they're the follicles. So PCOS is a misnomer. It's not multiple cysts. Cysts are larger um, fluid-filled sacs typically in the ovaries. In fact, women with PCOS have those very small different follicles. Remember, that's where those eggs are, guys, right? It all ties in. This is important because in a woman who has a good number of eggs, that could be the absolute reason why she has a high number of follicles. They correlate. Um, And so about a quarter, I believe, of all women um, who technically classify as PCO morphology on their ovaries, it's just because they have a good, what we call ovarian reserve, a good number of eggs. Um, Again, there's no one perfect test to look at egg numbers. So I don't want people to think that, oh, okay, I can just do my follicles and I'll know exactly how many eggs we have. Unfortunately, no. But it is a way that we look at egg number. And again, it could just be that people have a high number of eggs, which, by the way, is the very last point of irregular cycles. Um, It can be that um, if you're starting to have a lower number of eggs, it can sometimes affect your period, depending on how advanced that is. Okay. Wow. Thank you for explaining that. That's really interesting. So, okay. So say you are, and actually, let me ask you this question too. Are any of these the same reasons why someone would be completely missing their cycle? I know the main reason I see in my practice for an anovulatory cycle is someone who is probably, like you mentioned, just not, um, their, their energy expenditure is too high, meaning that they are, they're maybe exercising so much, but they're not refueling their body as much, or they're under an intense amount of emotional stress. But it just occurs to me now that there might be someone listening who thinks, well, I don't have a period at all. Are these the same things that I should look out for? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think of it as a, excuse me, as a continuum. So um, certainly I see women who um, have menses every 40 days and I still go through that same workup. And a woman who, has a, who had a period a year ago, I'm going through that same workup and I'm even thinking of adding other, um, other parts because what I just described to you is the most common. And of course, there's even more causes that are so rare that I'm not going to talk about right now. But um, certainly, if you haven't had a period, you aren't getting a period regularly, please, and it's been over six months, please go see someone. This is not only to, again, address what's going on to get to the root cause of what you're dealing with, but also because there can be other effects that can um, become um, an issue and a serious one if you let it go unchecked for years and years. So um, absolutely, it's a continuum. And that's a great reminder. I'm bringing it back to the top of the show where we talked about how 
the menstrual cycle is a fifth vital sign. And so if you're not getting one or you're having these irregularities, it is time to investigate these options with someone that you trust, which I guess is a really good transition into so, all right, so we've listened to this podcast. I'm sitting here like, oh man, what if I have thyroid? Oh man, what if I have high prolactin? Or, so where do, what, what do we do? Like, what, what does a woman who's listening to this do? What's her next step? Does she call you? Does, is there another thing she, she can do at home to support herself? Um, obviously, she can come see either of us, but like outside of promoting our own businesses, like what does yeah. someone do in this situation? Yeah, absolutely. That's the question. Absolutely. So I would say you can do a multi-pronged approach and I think it just depends on the patient. So some women I see are like, I do not want to chart. That was so stressful. That was the cause of all my stress. So no problem. Go to the specialist. Go to, I would say go to a doctor. I am biased, right? Because I am a reproductive endocrinologist. I think that we have um, a great a resource in understanding all of these, but an OBGYN would be a great option as well. A gen- your general OBGYN could start that hormone workup. Even a primary physician, uh, internal medicine or family medicine physician, you could start there if, if it was just the easiest, but get in to see someone, number one. Number two, another thing that I recommend doing is to harness your own body's um, biomarkers and use and increase your own awareness of those biomarkers. So doing all those charting methods, I think are wonderful. You can either research them yourself. There are a lot of things out there. Even Instagram has lots of um, um, resources, I feel like at this point, but you can also use a charting coach. So there are different programs, either neofertility, or um, you can do um, Symptothermal, which I know Couple to Couple League does um, a lot. Marquette Method uses the LH kits. There's just Billings Method uses cervical mucus. And so you can kind of find out and gather resources from your area for each of these methods that speak to you and get um, in-person support and help and guidance and teaching. And so I think that's a really good way also of going about it. Um, as you're figuring out what's happening and getting linked into a physician to do the blood testing, to do more of the workup. And then, of course, there's people like you, Sophie, where we can have um, uh, the support and that team approach where we're also healing the gut. We're also looking at some of that functional medicine piece of it, which, again, I know Western medicine typically doesn't focus on. So that's what I would say is go, go see someone, go understand your body get the right team and um, don't feel overwhelmed. I know that that can feel so hard to do. And a lot of the times people say, well, I'm not going to do anything, but really um, it's please um, again, knowledge is power to empower yourself, to be your own advocate. That's really such an important part. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I want to go a little bit deeper and this is a sensitive topic. Um, but I know a lot of women who are listening could really support, can really relate to this and really need this answer. And I always like to ask when I have a doctor on, Um, (laughs) so a lot of women message me on Instagram or just, they become my clients and I hear about this, that they, they go to their, their OBGYN or they go to their PCP. They're told their hormones are normal. It's all in their head. They should go on hormonal birth control or they should take an antacid or an antidepressant, um, or they're just not taken seriously. So what are some of the things that as a doctor, you know, you, could respond well to if a, if a patient came in, you know, I think we probably come in with a lot of emotion because we're in pain or we're confused or we're stressed that our body is failing us. Right. But that might not be how a doctor who only has 10 minutes with you is going to be able to really support you. So how can we be our best advocates when we come into a more general 
OBGYN or PCP who doesn't have your knowledge of, you know, the holistic background, you know, who might not be as open to that side of things, how can we go in empowered and have that conversation and tell them what they need to hear to take us seriously and to run the right types of tests? Oh, that's such a good question. And I just feel so badly for women because again, you're coming and you're, you're just really kind of on your knees seeking help at this point because it is such a hard process. Um, again, we didn't even talk about endometriosis or other things, but pain with periods, all, all that part is another big piece of that hormonal um, experience that women, some women suffer week. with. <laughs> We're going to talk you about go. endo Good. with um, Dr. Jessica Drummond. Oh, wonderful. Um, I would say that, uh, yes, I, I, I know it's hard. I'm sorry. And as someone who um, I used to prescribe birth control, and um, I know it's it, now I feel so enlightened. Honestly, it's been such an evolution this past year in my thoughts on, um, again, what even I used to do before in traditional Western medicine. But it really is in some way, and, and this is, and it's all well intentioned. It's all we want to help. Everyone wants to help that patient sitting in front of them. I, I, I truly believe that we go into it. It's a, it, it's something where we're wanting to help heal that person. But unfortunately, a lot of what's accepted in mainstream, especially if you don't have that knowledge background and you're, you're, um, you're, you know that, okay, this is the next step that I should be doing potentially is putting that Band-Aid on, giving that pill. My goodness. Again, I feel like I've evolved so much. The birth control pill is the opposite of what your actual menstrual cycle does. Instead of having these beautiful curves and rhythms and cyclicity, it is just a flat line, okay? And there are major impacts that women feel. I have not yet talked to a woman that I'm, I can't even think of one, to be frank, that likes being on a birth control pill. And I've talked to a lot of women. Um, and I think that's because women know, again, they know their bodies. And that's what they're coming and seeking help with. And that's what you're saying. I would say to, to this woman listening, again, be your own advocate. Not, don't accept no for an answer. Of course, the doctor is trying to help you. But at the same time, I think that's another reason why to be doing the charting, to be doing the biomarkers. So that you walk in there and you say, listen, I've done X, Y, Z. This is what I, I've come to the conclusion of. This is what I think is going on. Can we potentially think about this? And really becoming that partner with your physician for your own best care. Because again, you, you are the person that cares the very most about it. At the end of the day, this is your life and your journey. You need to make sure that you are heard. And unfortunately, if you don't feel that that is the case, then find someone else because um, that's the thing. There's a lot of us out there, right? And so um, you will find that right person. But again, I think that that's where really seeing what your body is doing helps. It does. And also pain is never normal. So, um, you know, a little bit of pain, maybe a twinge, but if you're really suffering and it's debilitating, no, no, no. Go in and please get evaluated for that. Sorry, extra plug for next week's episode. That's okay. I'm sure Jessica Drummond will love that. Thank you for saying what you just said and being so blatantly honest about, you know, about um, 
the birth control pill and you know it's it's good for some women in some cases but just explaining kind of what happens you know in the beginning of the cycle uh, or in the beginning of the episode just explaining what happens throughout the cycle and then you kind of just explain why the birth control pill kind of eradicates that right it's like a flat line and I think I mean I was never taught that when I when I was given the option to go on birth control I wasn't given any of like the downsides or the understanding of like oh wait if I'm if I'm on birth control I'm not getting like my own estrogen or my own progesterone, like that's not happening. So I'm not going to get all the benefits of that. And then, you know, I wonder why I had issues coming off. So thanks for explaining that. You know, Dr. Gersh had the same reaction. She's also an OBGYN and she was, she was even more outspoken. And I know in her book, she just straight up says, like, if you look at birth control, like the synthetic hormones that are in it, they are actually endocrine disruptors, which is hormone disruptors. Um, obviously, um, because they're they're disrupting our natural flow, and so you know, we, we I think as women like to go on the birth control pill. It's so amazing to have that option, like so amazing we have this this option of birth control, but it's not our only option, right? And um, we don't necessarily aren't given all the information when we're presented with that, and so I think sometimes we can feel like pressured into yes, going it's on so biased, yeah. And again, this is speaking as someone who used to be in that world. I just, again, it's been such an awakening for me. You're absolutely right, Sophie. And I think people need to speak out that are professionals because it is something that people are getting in a way pressured into. I completely agree with you. And it may not be the right choice. And there are very small but real risks. And those things need to be discussed with a patient. Absolutely. And, you know, I think what you said too is like, you know, doctors start in their practices to help you like they are here to help you but also just think about the scope of a western medicine doctor you know i would imagine in your experience that you know you're looking at like clinical data because that's what the studies have shown and that's you know when someone gets to a certain like pathology level that's when you can either like do surgery or you can treat with a medication Whereas maybe with holistic, you're looking at it more preventatively. So it's just a totally different kind of scope and they're both valid and they're both useful. But what we can do is get educated, like you said, and, and be our own advocate so that whoever we do choose, choose to partner with, we are coming in with some um, responsibility too and being like, hey, this is the work I've done. This is what I think. What, what would you propose? And, then, and that's like such a more empowered place to come from than... Yes. I don't know what's going on and please, you know, guide me. And then they they might come back with, well, I think you should go on the birth control pill and you don't know what that means for you. And so you get kind of pressured or feel like you have to do it. So I'm hoping that we can start to change that conversation. Yes, exactly. I'm with you. (laughs) Awesome. Okay, cool. Is there anything else we didn't cover in today's? I think we're going to have to do a part two on something, but we may have to do. Yeah. (laughs) I think that was a lot of information, but hopefully it was helpful. And I think that um, it would be interesting to chat about, you know, a more holistic way of approaching each of those parts, but that will have to be maybe more to come. Yeah, maybe <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do a part two on, yeah, more holistic ways to, to, to deal with all those different um, things that could be happening. That would be a really fun episode to do. I love that idea. I would love it. Absolutely. Okay, Dr. Rubal, how can people find you? Can they work with you um, online or do they have to be in Southern California where you are? Well, you know, I do have a practice in Southern California in Orange County. um, And so I'm there seeing patients. I do do telemedicine, so video visits for California uh, patients as well. And people can find me either on my website. So it's uh, a mouthful. It's 
laurenrubalmd.com, um, at, which is L-A-U-R-E-N-R-U-B-A-L-M-D.com. <laughs> or um, you can also find me on Instagram. I've been um, a little bit quiet this week because it was my husband's birthday. But um, yay. yay, yeah. Um, but that, those are great places to, to search me out. So Instagram at Lauren Rubal, M-D, L-A-U-R-E-N-R-U-B-A-L-M-D. And um, okay, great. Well, we'll definitely have to have you back on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. What a wonderful conversation. Thank you for having me, Sophie. I loved it. Thank I you. Lo- I loved it too. All right. This is Sophie Shepard, host of She Talks Health, signing off for one more week. If you need any information on menstrual and digestive and functional nutrition support, you can find me at She Talks Health on Instagram or Facebook or on my website, shetalkshealth.com. I look forward to serving you and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Sophie Shepard is a functional nutrition practitioner and founder of She. Sophie helps busy women all over the world go from menstrual cycle chaos to optimal hormonal alignment so they can live their lives fully without being held back by their bodies. Using the power of functional lab testing combined with life-changing mindset shifts and integrating the entire body's system. If the only thing holding you back is your health, it's time to stop letting hormonal chaos run your world. Book your health discovery call today by going to SheTalksHealth.com. Are you done medicating and guessing your way through the exhaustion, pain and irritability caused by menstrual cycle and digestive health issues? Sophie Shepard, founder of She, will help you go from symptom-ridden and confused to finally having clarity about how your menstrual cycle works and confidence in your health strategy in just 10 days. If you are ready to stop living with painful, heavy, irregular, or non-existent periods, no energy, brain fog, anxiety, and digestive issues, then check out the 10-Day Digestive and Hormone Reboot at SheTalksHealth.com. Thank you for joining us this week for She Talks Health. Please join Sophie Shepard again next week for another episode of our show on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.